politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard our liberties from this Fourth Reich. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the house at Blaze TV. This is CR Podcast Tuesday, January 26th, the seventh day of the Fourth Reich, as well as, what are, what are we at, 300, day 320 of 15 days to flatten our lives. Now, we have a lot to talk about, as always, that some of this we're going to have to get to later, the mechanics of starting a new party, so much new stuff on the virus, how it's all pain and no gain when it comes to lockdowns and masks, some looming potential successes in some red states, but also some problems. We got Republicans yesterday. All but 15 of them voted for Janet Yellen to confirm her as Treasury Secretary. They run against socialism and then vote for a socialist who promises up front to illegally rig the economy on behalf of what she calls minorities, whatever that even means, when we're the minority. And all but 15 Republicans voted for her. Remember all those people that said the Senate hangs in the balance, 50-50, 51-49. And I told you, they, have, they already have a supermajority. It's a joke. It's an utter joke. This is, and by the way, this is when it's a freebie. They knew Biden had the votes anyway. You can imagine if it actually mattered and they're too scared to actually block, even fewer of them would vote no. But I want to change directions a little bit today because we're going to have a special, very special guest on our show, Andy No, the Antifa man. No, he is not in the streets burning and looting. He is covering their burning and looting. And before we bring him on, I just want to go through some of the news on that front. Obviously, a lot of you have seen the insane video from Lower Manhattan a couple days ago where... This guy was beaten and stripped naked in the middle of the streets, broad daylight, by a mob of youths. And this is happening more and more. New York is worse than it's ever been. An entire generation of gains against crime erased. And you look at the dystopia that has become America, where it's pretty remarkable. And like I keep saying, it's like the Fourth Reich, because the only parallel in history is really Nazi Germany in the 30s, Where did you ever have such an authoritarian government in place where we literally can't walk without a muzzle? This has never happened in all of humanity. A woman can't give birth in many places without a muzzle on her face as she is laboring and delivering. Yet it's a free-for-all in the streets. Looting, burning, blocking highways. The police are beleaguered. Except when it comes to us, they become very strong. And we have FBI signs out all over the place saying, hey, snitch on anyone. If they were at the Capitol, tracking down cell phone um, coverage in a given area to see if people were even in the vicinity. While the worst beaters and looters and rioters themselves will never get put away, many of them not never prosecuted or arrested, much less those that were encouraging it or around the vicinity. You look around, uh, Heather McDonald, maybe we should get her back on the show, it's been a while, she wrote a terrific op-ed in the Wall Street Journal talking about the most violent year ever. And it really, it's not that we had the most homicides ever, But it was the sharpest increase after a generation of gains against crime. She talks about how murder was up nearly 37% in a sample of 57 large and mid-sized cities. Up 95% Milwaukee, 70% Louisville, 74% Seattle, 72% Minneapolis, 62% in New Orleans, and 58% in Atlanta. Um, There's also Philadelphia, she doesn't mention, has got to be a lot too. Over 2,000 more Americans were killed due to homicide, mainly blacks. A lot of them children more than ever. 
And she notes how everyone's trying to blame this on, oh, the psychological issues with the pandemic. People have more angst. Yeah, you just go out and kill people. Now, let's put aside the fact that that's an indictment of lockdowns. But we all know, as she notes, crime was actually going down the first few months of the year of the pandemic, March and April. It wasn't until the end of May that it spiked. Well, what happened after May 25th? Those were the George Floyd blood libel lies and rioting from BLM and um, Antifa. But also what that did was it emboldened all the career criminals. It put the police on defense. And the rest is history. Except it's not history. It's still going on. You know, A lot of people are comparing the Capitol riots to what happened last year. Well, it's actually still going on. There's actually no right-wing violence before January 6th, after January 6th, even on January 6th. A lot of things are unclear, but we already know that there was a degree of agent provocateur going on. I could tell you this much, the Antifa riots going on right now in Washington State and Oregon, Denver, New York City, other places, there's not a single right-winger that is encouraging them or needs to encourage them encourage them to riot they do it on their own which makes the tyranny all the more disquieting because how could a government that is so strict on its people at the same time be so laissez-faire and that should scare us all about the sadistic two-tier justice system and the persecution it's not just authoritarianism As I've noted before, authoritarianism is across the board. That's China. This is a sadistic persecution, what's taking place. And it just doesn't matter. All these virtue signalers, doesn't matter. And this is why I will tell you now, once and for all, that I was ahead of the curve when I've been noting the last few months that I actually believe in abolishing the police, and I would extend that certainly to federal law enforcement. I mean, local law enforcement is more important. But I am all for abolishing all of law enforcement. And I mean that with every every fiber of my being. Because typically you'd say, oh my gosh, you can't do that. You'll have uh, anarchy. Whoops, we already have that. As I've warned, in this sadistic two-tier justice system, Believe me, it's not my ideal. I believe in ordered liberty. But if that's not an option on the menu, which clearly it is not, then screw them. Let's abolish them. Let's call their bluff. Because at least in that case, we've already incurred the liability of the police being abolished for their just cause, for the just purview of government pursuant to the social compact, the social contract, to secure the blessings of liberty, to protect our security internally at a local level, at the border, at a national level, it's not happening. They're even releasing foreign criminals. So at least if we didn't have the police, we don't have anyone to enforce the COVID fascism when we inevitably have to protect ourselves. No one's coming after us and we can protect ourselves without the police arresting us. And we sure as heck are not going to have all these impotent fools that seem to be impotent in going after Antifa suddenly criminalizing conservative activists. So that's where I stand on that. And um, and again, folks, today's sponsor, as has been every day in January, ConstitutionCoach.com. We need to learn about the Constitution and self-defense. The way to to do that is by signing up at constitutioncoach.com for their kind of quarterly, every two to three months, trips to Front Sight, Nevada, best facility for firearms training you could ever get. They have three-day and five-day courses, 90% off with constitutioncoach.com. You just have to pay for the airfare and accommodations and your ammo. Fortunately, the February class, we've got a great response. We're really looking forward to meeting all of you there. That is full. 
but you could see in March and June and other dates, they have a lot of other dates there. Um, I hope to be at at least some of the trainings in the future, but make sure you sign up there, constitutioncoach.com, a mixture of real and intellectual ammo from the best trainers in the business. So folks, I have a lot more I want to get to, um, but I do want to get to our guest. Just want to remind you, some of you have emailed me about my lawyer project where basically we need attorneys to sue in strategic areas and defend people from COVID fascism, ADA lawsuits with the masking and things like that, self-defense cases, uh, persecution, censorship. It's very hard to get a lawyer. Um, so if any of you are are down for it, again, email me at dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. A friend of mine is going to help me put together. He himself is a lawyer barred here in Maryland. He's going to help me put together just a, a confidential database of people that we're just going to connect with one-on-one and say, hey, do you guys want to work together? Um, I particularly need in Florida. I mean, believe it or not, we have a guy who was fired after 17 years from being a paramedic in Fort Myers. He needs a lawyer. He's caught. He was set up with body cameras showing he wasn't wearing a mask. He wasn't even working on patients. This can't go on. This can't go on. And we're going to need it there too. You know, because hopefully in the coming days we can go on offense in some of the redder states like in Florida with ADA and OSHA lawsuits. And we're going to have to start in states where there's no government mandate. But, you know, the so-called private sector, which was already distorted by the government, has already lopped this up. So now we need an equal and opposing force to push back. And again, this is something I keep noting. I want to be very clear. We believe in the same principles we always did. But you can't have a scenario where government kidnaps you and you're like, I'm going to be principled and not break a window to escape. If you are only in that predicament because they distorted the market. As I noted in my piece yesterday on Amazon and free enterprise and anti-discrimination law. But then somehow, oh, well, you know, government creates an entire distortion that's insane. And now we have no way of getting around that because that's where the arc of the water is flowing. But it's only flowing that way because of distortion. We need to do everything we can do to get it back to where it should be. That in itself is a deep discussion. There's a lot of ramifications, and we're going to keep working on that. We're going to keep working on the sanctuary movement. But now it's time for our special guest. So most of you are well aware of Andy No's terrific work. Um, it's not just the dedication, but really the risk to his life to actually bring to you guys what is going on that you would never hear about. You see, if you want to go after right-wing activists, even those that do get violent, the Capitol Hill protesters, uh, you have the weight of the entire legal universe behind you, and you will be encouraged and rewarded. Well, what if you want to help expose what is actually going on in the streets, the rioting that took place every day before January 6th and every day since January 6th, well, you are putting your life at risk. And Andy No has really um, put himself at great risk to provide these great videos, the great reporting of what is going on with Antifa. First off, make sure you follow him at Mr. Andy No. And it's spelled NGO at the end on Twitter. He's the editor of the Post Millennial and also the author of a book, Unmasked. Not on COVID and masks, but on Antifa, Unmasked. Make sure you get that online. It is, it is the definitive book on Antifa. Andy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. Look, I've admired you from afar for a long time. Um, without you, we basically wouldn't know what's going on. So could you just give people a synopsis of what is happening across the country, particularly in the West Coast, when everyone's hearing about right-wing terrorists lurking at every corner? What is actually going on on America's streets? I think the um, 
the irresponsibility of the mainstream press and their reporting on um, extremist, violent extremist movements in the U.S. has been primarily that they have ignored the analogous extremism that exists on the fringe and far left. Um, unfortunately, with this movement called Antifa, it's moved from the fringes into the mainstream, particularly after the election of Donald Trump in November 2016. And they were able to move into a mainstream position on the left because they had now so many allies, um, uh, mainstream liberals who viewed uh, foolishly and incorrectly that the uh, surprise win of Donald Trump was a sign of immediate uh, ascendant American fascism. So for the past four and a half years now, we've had lots of street violence happen on the streets uh, of America, major American cities, and most of it has been centered, although not exclusively, in the Pacific Northwest. That's where I am from and based out of. Um, this movement of thugs uh, call themselves Antifa, short for anti-fascist. But as I was reporting on them in 2016, as a student journalist at that time, what I saw is that they had really no clear or accurate definition of fascism and how they applied uh, who was a fascist was essentially anybody who voted or supported Donald Trump. And so under that, what was, I guess, their mandate that gave them the legitimacy in their eyes and in the eyes of many in the press to go out and hurt people, destroy property, loot, create misery, misery uh, in the name of racial justice. And in 2020, they took that project further into accelerating their efforts to destabilize local governments. And they had much success in the Pacific Northwest because of our weak leadership up here. I'll give some examples. Um, listeners may recall that in Seattle last year, the largest city in the Pacific Northwest, this movement of BLM and Antifa actually seized territory and declared themselves sovereign and separate from the United States. And they set up an actual hard border that was manned by their volunteer militias who were open uh, carrying rifles and guns and other weapons, um, checking people who were going in and out. And this was allowed to go on for more than three weeks. Um, it was praised by the media. Um, it was even praised by the mayor of Seattle, who called it um, a summer of love. Um, it devolved into a place of uh, anarchy and violence and chaos, and it led to several deaths multiple shootings. Uh, I write about my experience there in the book. Um, but this just comes to show that um, they espouse an ideology and belief that um, the, the ends justify the means, which is why they chant by any means necessary. So they have no issue with not just hurting people, hurting their livelihoods or destroying their lives, but actually killing people. And they have killed people. They, in Portland uh, last summer, um, they shot and killed a Trump supporter in the middle of downtown. And this was uh, a person who declared himself 100% Antifa. I chronicle and write about their deadly violence in the book. Now, just obviously when folks, when you read Unmasked, you're going to be shocked at the level of violence that they get away with. And I think it's better that you read the book now after January 6th, when you're seeing how strong the government supposedly is against violence and extremism and, you know, insurrection. And then you look at the gaping dichotomy between governmental action on them versus governmental action taken with Antifa. What I can't figure out, Andy, is this. And this is what I need you guys. To, this is what I need you to enlighten our audience. What is the end game here? So a lot of people figure this is about Trump and you know opposing him and intimidating and threatening his supporters, but Trump's gone now and Biden's president, and they're still rioting. So what's what's their game now? And do you see 
the Democrats, both nationally and then obviously in control in places like Seattle and Portland and Denver, these other big cities, finally having enough of them? Yeah, they are still rioting even after Biden won. And I know some people may have been surprised. I certainly wasn't because if you listen to what their demands are and read their literature, um, they don't recognize the United States as a legitimate nation state and a government. They, they view it as an enemy that needs to be destroyed. So they're not even working to take over institutions and change things. They want to destroy it from the inside out. Um, so when they talk about burning down the system, abolishing this institution, that institution, they truly mean it. And so there was a lot of symbolism in, for example, the targets of attack, attacks that happened um, throughout months of 2020 in Portland. We had night after night uh, of riots that occurred for more than 120 straight days. And the main target of that was the federal courthouse in downtown. And that was because they viewed that as a symbol um, in literal a re representative of the American criminal justice system. So all the things that the rioters did on the 6th of January in the Capitol Hill, um, Antifa did all that in worse for weeks and weeks on end, months on end. These are people who came to these riots with explosives, with rocks, with knives, with lasers to blind the eyes of their uh, opponents and law enforcement. And all of this was done with praise from the press, with praise from even those on Portland City Council, on Seattle City Council. So it just comes to show that um, those who are have been condemning the loudest what happened on the 6th, um, their statements are hollow. Because last year when my city was literally under siege by a group of marauding thugs who were claiming insurrection, these people at best were silent and at worst, some of them actually even promoted some of these crowdfunding campaigns to support the bail funds and uh, legal fees for these people who were arrested. On a typical night or day that they're doing this stuff in Portland, how many get arrested and how many get prosecuted? So over the more than uh, six months of riots that have happened in Portland, one of my projects has been to uh, meticulously chronicle through public records requests the names of those who arrested their booking photos and their charges. And I also then follow up to see, well, what, what did the district attorney do with these charges from police? Well, uh, it should come as no surprise that one reason why it's the riots were able to go on for so long and continue to go on to this day is because more than 90%, 9-0, um, get their charges immediately dropped. There was a policy of the district attorney as soon as he came into office last year where he lit literally decriminalized rioting. That was a, if felony riot charge wasn't coupled with these other types of charges, his po office's policy was to drop them. So literally some of these people, um, I recognize and as getting arrested and re-released over and over, some of them seven, eight, nine times. And they face no legal consequence at all. On um, For those who are uh, charged with really serious felonies like stabbing somebody or really injuring law enforcement, and then a bail is set for them, well, there are these bail funds that have been set up in Portland and they've raised more than a million dollars to get these people immediately out, and then the charges get dropped anyways later on, so they get the money back. Even the serious ones? Yes. And I think that's very powerful, juxtaposing that to what we're seeing at the Capitol, where they're casting a wide net even to people who are just there. I mean, imagine casting a net at anyone who is present in the streets next to someone acting violently when they're not even locking up those who acted violently so again, what I can't figure out headed forward is, you know, one of the places they attacked this week or last week in Portland was a Democrat Party office, and they're spraying graffiti about how they hate Biden. Do, do you see them 
the the Democrats finally discovering that maybe they don't have any use for them or politically are they going to continue letting this go? And and as a part of that question, could you also speak to them marching in suburban neighborhoods? Are some Democrat voters starting to wake up to the threat? Um, yeah. So these riots that uh, have occurred uh, months on end, um, it doesn't just stay in the downtown city center uh, for months, Antifa then took their rights to residential areas. Um, in de- December, they actually importantly created another autonomous zone in a residential area of Portland, and families and people who lived there were forced to flee. Uh, a hard border was set up. There were booby traps that were laid on the ground, and that was allowed to go on for more than a week. Um, to answer your question, the Democrats have been feeding and coddling this beast for years now and it was because they shared a mutual enemy in the trump administration and and the former president with that out of the way now it's almost really it doesn't really matter if the democrats decide that oh they're no long it's no longer politically advantageous to be indirectly allied with antifa because this beast is too big now and you see uh, the Portland mayor, for example, uh, one of the weakest mayors in America who has coddled and allowed this extremist movement to grow in his city and to establish an apparatus and network for riots to continue. Well, they assaulted him recently. Um, they've gone after him. He was confronted over the weekend. He actually had to use pepper spray against one of these people. So, like, it... He's frightened. He's had to move out of his home. Um, the mayor of Seattle has announced that she's not running for re-election. So it's like it doesn't really matter if they change their mind now. I think it's this movement um, is out to destroy everything about the United States, and that includes Republicans as well as Democrats. You know, it's funny. That sounds an awful lot like an insurrection, doesn't it? <laughs> it is an insurrection, and by their own statements they're calling for a revolution. These are revolutionary anarchist communists. There's a reason why they really not just um, uh, excuse the excesses of communist totalitarianism from the last century, they actually revel in praise um, that type of the violence that these regimes took on dissidents and political opponents. So one of the other things I've been really fascinated as well as scared about is this business of like almost setting up checkpoints in middle of roads and often interstate highways. It's just just shocking um, and how any motorist could unsuspectingly just wind, wind up in one of these checkpoints and be confronted with a terrible choice of, you know, do you move on because they tend not to get out of the way and have to run them over or do you risk getting pulled out of the car and beaten? And there was an incident in Tacoma where a police officer seemed to be surrounded and had to move forward and was, um, you know, had to uh, basically step on the gas pedal and wound up hitting someone. The person wasn't killed. They were only lightly injured. But all I know is that if you had, um, you know, an organization that they could call white supremacist, whether it is or not, but, you know, or a Trump group or whatever, that would surround cars and create these ad hoc checkpoints like what you see in Fallujah in Iraq and someone would be forced whether civilian or law enforcement to run them over the question would be who did that and we're going to track down and arrest everyone who was there on that street but now it almost seems like the cop is on defense could you update us what's going on there and just speak broadly to this whole phenomenon of blocking streets the blocking of the street is done because they're, they're trying to force people into these situations where they have to make a decision to you're either on our side or you're against us. So for all these people who claim to be non-binary in their gender, their thinking is extremely binary. So um, it's not just been law enforcement who have been swarmed in their vehicles and attacked. And normally they just allow that to go on. Um, because they're terrified of the these out-of-context videos showing them, let's say, fleeing for their lives in a car, and it happening to hit these aggressive, violent people on the road who are shutting down the street. 
Well, then, you know, these officers are placed um, under um, uh, endless investigations. They're removed from uh, their duties. Their career is impacted. And that's actually what happened to the officer, what is happening to the officer in Tacoma, who a few days ago, um, while responding to an incident where people had shut down the road, um, got swarmed and they were hitting on his car. And, um, you know, these are people who often make statements about wanting to kill police. Um, but even beyond law enforcement, we've seen over and over with these riots that happen in, in dozens of American cities where average normal um, private citizens get caught up on the road and their cars get absolutely destroyed. And many of them actually get assaulted and beaten. Um, in probably Utah last year, when there was a BLM Antifa riot, one of the drivers actually got shot by one of these rioters. So, and there's been three people charged over that. Um, so, um, the people that we should be hold be holding accountable, those who are impeding people's freedom of movement, they're not getting held accountable. If you actually respond to try to save your own life or save your property, your vehicle, then you are the one who gets um, prosecuted and charged and smeared in the press as an extremist. This is really one of the things that just terrifies me because it can ensnare anyone. Um, And it's, it's funny how the government seems very frantic when their citadel gets attacked, but when private citizens and private uh, property get attacked. They don't seem too concerned, and that should really, again, it should concern us all. Um, so, are you are you saying this cop is not off the hook yet? I mean, he might get charged. He may. The investigation's ongoing as of now. He's been placed on administrative leave, and the press has been demonizing him and uh, presenting him as somebody who intentionally was driving over peaceful people in the street rather than presenting the full contacts that he was actually being swarmed by people who were hitting his car and being extremely violent and aggressive. Yeah, I mean, uh, watching the video there, it's like these other cases, there's only one outcome there. Um, he sits there and doesn't do anything, they're going to get in that car and they'll beat him to death, or he would have to start shooting. Um, so, you know, he did what he can, and this this is very, very, very troubling um, one of the things that also a lot of people are confused about, if you could shed some light on this. So you have BLM and you have Antifa. So I've seen, obviously, Denver, you reported about, and certainly in uh, the Pacific Northwest. But then recently there's been some street violence in Atlanta and New York. Um, there was a big demonstration last week where 11 NYPD officers were injured. Is it a geographical thing where BLM is more kind of the New York Atlanta thing and the Pacific Northwest is more Antifa? Do they mix in? What is the relationship um, between the two, if there is any? I write about this in the book. Um, I consider them to emerge um, partnership, emerge entity for now. They have established a partnership and the DC chapter of BLM. Uh, is the most overt about that partnership. They will have actually rallied people on social media to go to Antifa events. Um, these two movements have um, different ultimate agendas, but they share enough in common, most importantly being their shared mutual hatred of the United States, what it stands for, and law enforcement. So as of now, there are allies and partners with one another, and they're able to deflect a lot of criticism by a weak press who actually believes that Antifa are merely anti-fascists opposing neo-Nazis and that Black Lives Matter is just a movement who's calling for racial justice in America rather than looking at the ideologies, the preachings of their leaders, their founders, the literature that they disseminate and what they actually call for. And you'll see that it's a these are revolutionary violent extremist ideologies and they manifest themselves through groups, organizations, and networks that carry out insurrectionary activity. So when you look at the two of them, you know, what, what shocked me is that a lot of Republicans and even some professed, self-professed conservatives have said recently, 
And, you know, even the ones that finally came on board with understanding what, what Antifa was, some of them thought Antifa was just a, a lovely anti-fascist organization, but they try to make a distinction somehow like, okay, Antifa, fine, you're right, they're, they're the violent folks, but BLM is more like just a political movement that's the, the, the peaceful protesting. Um, clearly, that's not true, right? No, it's not. I mean, BLM, I... When you tell the story of American Antifa, you, BLM is part of that story in that um, the reason that many of these BLM protests evolved into riots is because Antifa were there to essentially um, incite the crowd into violence. And this was allowed to go on over and over. And there was no effort by BLM to expunge these violent anarchist elements um, that were going to their rallies. And in fact, they partnered with one another. Um, but I mean, with what you just said, this just goes back to, um, I mean, politicians, uh, most of them are, are cowards and they, they just want to be liked by, um, the press and the public. And it, right now it's unfortunately people view support for BLM and Antifa as noble rather than, um, as um, support for I movements and ideologies that uh, are seeking to not just harm America itself and its standing in the world, but to really go after um, its institutions, its um, the whole entire process of liberal democracy, um, systematic attacks on the rule of law. So, you know, you don't have to even just listen to me. I'm not um, I'm openly critical of these movements. Just go read their own literature, and I quote all of what they say in the book, and you can see for yourself that these are not um, merely anti-racist uh, social justice ideologies. As an aside, here is law enforcement, local prosecutors, is anyone in government helping you? against some of the death threats that have been lodged at you and i know you've you've had to run away recently and hide is anyone helping you no one's helping me um i and this is you know it's it's paying me a lot to have my my confidence in uh the american rule of law shaken quite a bit but to see um death threats being sent to me um through all these mediums, people showing up to my my home, releasing information of where I could be found in real time. All of this is reported to local law enforcement, and when applicable, I also reported it to um, the FBI, and nothing was done, is done. I was beaten uh, in 2019 by Antifa, and that was caught on video. Um, I was left with a brain hemorrhage, and that has led nowhere in terms of the um the law enforcement investigation into that. So no, no, nobody's been prosecuted for that incident. <laughs> nobody's nobody's been uh, arrested, much less charged, prosecuted, <laughs> sentenced. Oh my gosh! Um, wow, wow that that is something else. Oh my gosh, this is this is very chilling, and we could talk forever. But folks, you got to read the book Unmasked. Uh, just to conclude here, put on your prediction hat. If you just game this out in the coming months, where does this go next? Um, I'm a little bit older than you, and I remember the early 90s when the crime bubble really peaked and things got really bad and affected a lot of people. The people rose up and demanded from their politicians that they do something. We got the crime bill at a federal level, trickled down really to all the states, even Democrats got tough on crime, and it led to a generational decline in violent crime until the last few years where it reversed tr tremendously. Do, do you see some of these white liberals or white moderates living in these suburban areas that were distracted by Trump, they were offended by Trump, and, and really were obsessed with him, but now that he's gone and they have to pay the piper for the anarchy, do you see... You know, a counter movement. Um, well, my hopes for that were dashed in November when I was looking at the uh, results for local elections. So Portland, um, in addition to Ted, Ted Wheeler, the current mayor who who's running again and actually won, 
his main opponent was uh, a woman named Sarah Inaroni, who declared herself openly as part of Antifa, and she lavished praise on them uh, for years now. Um, she only lost um, to Ted Wheeler by mere, I think, five points, and that's only because there was a candidate to her left who received uh, around 13% of the vote. So there is still widespread support for this in these left-wing political monocultures in Portland, Seattle, other major urban areas. And as long as the population continue to um, tolerate hard left uh, views and policies, um, that's going to continue to give a certain amount of legitimacy to the political violence that is carried out by um, these extremist movements that hide under uh, the banner of racial justice, social justice. Wow, that is a very sobering briefing, Andy, but I do thank you for coming on. Where could people find your work uh, to make sure they're educated on what's going on? Thank you. Um, my website is andy-ngo.com. You can find my latest news reports there, interviews, um, and the book Unmasked is uh, available wherever uh, books are sold. Perfect. Unmasked, uh, obviously the lowdown on Antifa. Thank you for joining us and really looking forward to having you back again. My pleasure. Folks, that was really creepy. And I don't mean that in a negative way to Andy. I mean, wow. I mean, we all know how bad it is. But what's more creepy than how many violent anarchists there are in this country is how many nonviolent anarchists there are in our government that as may as well be violent because they agree with it, they allow it to happen while turning around and looking at us and saying, we're going to hunt you down because you're violent. That's why this presentation from Andy <clears throat> at its core is why I believe it's why I believe that so many of our audience, our people, they just don't give a darn about Capitol Hill. It's not that they support certainly attacking police and whatever some people did and didn't do. But it's like if you're going to have endless violence, a magnitude a million times larger than that, they just don't care at some point. And then for them to come after us and not them. This is a sick country. We've lost significant swaths of it. The question going forward is if we can go and reconstruct a republic of some sorts in areas where there's a majority of people that, that agree with us. But like, I mean, you go everywhere and this party is broken. This is what I don't understand, what I resent about a lot of my colleagues. They're like wind-up toys. No matter what happens, there's no inspiration to push for something new. They double down on failure. It doesn't work to start a new party. You have to, da, 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 da. You know, and again, it's a straw man because we're not talking about immediately like officially starting a new party. We're talking about over time doing it, but as a transition, you have a de facto, call it a Patriot Caucus, whatever, but it can't be one or two people. It has to be an entire slate where every red state, the governor candidate, the senatorial candidate, the House members, the state legislature, and percolating down into all the counties from sheriff and school board, they're all on board with this. They're all based. That's the new term being used. And, and I, I, I frankly like it because conservative has lost its meaning. That they get what is at stake. They get what we're doing is not w working. They get that the left are anarchist communists and that the right is phony. And something needs to be done about it. And we need to at least protect ourselves on the core issues that matter to our lives. That's the thing. You know, a lot of people are talking about 
this poll that came out yesterday that basically showed that if you did have a so-called Patriot Party, which, of course, Trump's now walking back, I don't know if he's doing that for impeachment purposes or whatever, but basically, if you would have that party, uh, Scott, Scott Rasmussen pulled this, it would do better than the Republican Party. And I think that's just theoretical. But if you actually had it in place and speaking to people's needs, the Republican Party would, would be nothing but these thumb-sucking National Review writers. There's no constituency for that. You know, obviously, people, if you ask them, a lot of people are still like scared. I don't want to split the vote. I don't want it. But if you had it speaking to people's needs, and then again, like right now, if you poll people, and especially if you use the word patriot or Trump, you know, if you're anyone who voted against Trump, you're going to recoil from that. But if you had a fresh slate speaking to the ideas, given how radical the left is, as we just talked with Andy about, these suburban voters, I mean, at some point, the ones that aren't completely brainwashed, and it's not all of them, they would look to something new. There's no question we're ready for this in our country. I don't want to hear mechanics. The problem with my colleagues that have all these excuses, it's that morally they're not there, not just strategically. Because they don't fully understand the problem of the Republican Party. You know, I said last week that the governor of Alaska, Mike Dunleavy, was annoyed at me for exposing the child abuse in the schools with the masking and the setup of the classroom in Anchorage. And he's like, what do you mean? That's Anchorage. It's not my fault. I agree. And I was like, hey, you know, okay, do you want to write an op-ed on how you agree? No. Too scared. This is from alaskawatchman.com. Governor Mike Dunleavy introduced Senate Bill 56 on January 25th to extend Alaska's public health disaster declaration another six months. Alaska first declared a public health disaster last March. Dunleavy proposed extension. If passed by the legislature, would mean Alaska would be in disaster mode for another for, for more than 16 months through September of this year. Dunleavy's bill allows for him to continue issuing orders, proclamations, and regulations aimed at dealing with COVID. It also states that he could end the emergency declaration of the state's commissioner of health, deems that there is no longer a present outbreak or a credible threat of imminent outbreak. In addition to allowing the state to continue to spend federal disaster money, the bill allows for a continued suspension of many laws and regulations pertaining to professional licenses, permits, and certification in a number of sectors. It also allows health providers more leeway regarding telemedicine. I mean, you know, they're trying to say there's some good parts to it. So then, I mean, you don't need a public health emergency bill. That an emergency is... That, that, that's the foundation for suspending rights. If you want to get rid of the regulations on licensing and telemedicine, submit a bill doing just that. Um, but, you know, we, we talk about how the, we have a need in the red states to end the emergencies and reform and limit these emergency powers. And here we have a Republican governor asking to extend it another six months. So, like, I mean, we say, well, it's the, the localities. Well, gee, even if the localities have some autonomy, it usually piggybacks off of a state declaration of an emergency. So the first step to fighting back against it is rolling that back. Oh, Daniel, we can't do that. That's too much to ask. This is the problem. And even if he's a good guy, I don't know if he downright supports it or he's too scared. But why is he scared? He's scared because he has a Republican Party that's broken. And it's true in every state. And this is the problem. Everyone's looking for that one president, that one governor that could drain the swamp. You can't drain a swamp. You can't fight an army when your army is compromised of the same elements. And not just 2% of it, but 90% of it. You can't have all the people in the state and county party committees and other elected officials 
that are either rhinos or they're just like pay-for-play guys. Most Republicans aren't like Mitt Romney in the sense that they're ideologically bought into it. They're just nothing. They just want to feast off the carcass that the left is creating. Get involved with, with, the, with their lobbyists. They're just there to, to pay, play the game. They want to be congressmen. They want to move up, move up the ladder. You're finding this in every state. So usually it's only those guys who are able to win. But if by some miracle one of our guys could win a primary, guess what? You're going to have to face that entire apparatus now. How are you going to fight the left and the media when the, when the Republican Party is not with you? You can't. No one person could do it alone. This is the lesson we need to learn. And again, it's shocking. We can't even get anti-crime laws with everything going on in the red states. I get it that Texas is not as bad as Portland, although I'd say Houston and some of the larger cities are pretty close. But that's how the Overton window moves things over. Five years from now, heck, one or two years from now, Texas will be like Oregon. And Oregon will be like a concentration camp for white conservatives or whatever. So we need a new party. But again, the way to do that is first, you need a movement before you need the party. You need a movement of people that will at least hold the Republicans accountable pressure them, and then simultaneously when you have the issue advocacy, you have the primary challenges, and it's kind of convert or die. Either they do our bidding or they get primaried. And then when you have a critical mass, you could easily break off. I like the idea of trying to just you know co-opt the Constitution Party because they already have the ballot access. There's ways of doing that, and there's no one way that's you know just head and shoulders above the rest, but the important thing is to strive for it. You can't achieve something if you don't strive for it. And in my industry, basically, all the grifters don't want to take any risks. And they like keeping the status quo because, you know, they'll be able to get clicks and get downloads and sell their books. And that's it. You know, I brought on Andy and and he has a book, but at least he's doing something that other people aren't doing. He's providing material that other people, I mean, 99% of these conservative figures are empty calories. If they drop dead tomorrow, what would you miss? What are they providing? So at least he's, you know, at a young age, at a tremendous risk to his life, is exposing the violence of the left and the politicians that coddle them. So kudos to him for coming on today. Again, let me know your comments, questions, concerns. I'm losing thousands of followers every day at Twitter, at Arm Conservative. But I'm going to start posting more at Gab, Daniel underscore Horowitz. We have our Facebook page, Miniman Speakeasy. We just passed a uh, a thousand Miniman. Hopefully we could grow that to a million one day. So sign up there, Miniman Speakeasy on Facebook. Even if you don't like Facebook, just at least temporarily sign up there. So we could get everyone's name and email and we can move to a better system, whether it's MeWe or something else, maybe Telegram. I don't know if that's conducive. I'm looking over some ideas. As always, support our sponsor, constitutioncoach.com. Lots more going on this week. We're just getting warmed up. Till tomorrow, thank you for listening. Stay safe and God bless you all. <laughs>